Well, good morning to all of you brave people uh, willing to face the the dangers of a hurricane to come to church. Um, Somebody called uh, this week, I heard about a conversation about what should I do on Sunday? Should I go to church? And and I just said, well, you know, when you wake up in the morning, look outside, and if it it seems nice, then come to church. And and if it's, you know, trees are falling down and, and there's big, huge waves in the streets, then stay home and watch online. Uh, but I said, either way, I'll be here. So um, anyway, it's, it's good to see all of you here, you brave people. And um, so anyway, I just was uh, want to open up by just asking you guys a question. Do you guys ever think about heaven? Do you think much about heaven? Do you think much about eternity? And uh, one of the things I would just ask about that is, um, you know, uh, what do you think about when you think about eternity, when you think about heaven? Um, what, do you, what do you long for? What are things about heaven that you just think, man, I am really looking forward to that. I really want that. Um, and I would also just ask, are there, when you think about eternity, are there ever things that are of concern to you or that cause you to be nervous or to wonder? And, uh, you know, thinking about eternity is actually one of the most important things that we do. And I think it's one of the blessings of getting older is that we realize that this time is coming near. I think often young people, I know when I was young, I didn't think much about eternity, although I did have moments where I worried about eternity. In fact, I, the, the most influential time I remember in my life thinking about eternity was when I was in junior high. And I remember uh, being in junior high, having been raised in church, and thinking about eternity and thinking about all the things that I had learned in church And I knew that God was real, that Jesus was real. And I knew that I was born a sinner and that I was separated from God and that eternity um, was going to stand based on how I responded to the things that I knew. And I remember um, as a kid, you know, just feeling that conviction and wanting to live my life, uh, pleasing the Lord. But when I, when I went to school every day and I hung out with my friends, um, you know, what it came down to was that having fun and having friends and doing things that brought enjoyment in this life was actually more important to me than my eternity. And I just remember thinking, um, you know, heaven is a long time off, but I need to live life today. And actually knowing that, like I knew where I stood, I knew where I was headed. And I just, um, I remember having moments in junior high that I wished I was never born because to actually live for God was too hard. Um, and, and yet um, I knew the, the terrible future that awaited me. And what's really awesome is that the Lord actually, when I was 18 years old, he actually changed my perspective on that. And I actually realized that being a Christian is not sacrificing a good life today so that we could have a good eternity. Uh, Being a Christian is actually living a full life today and also having eternity. And so, you know, heaven and eternity, those are things that we should think about because actually the Bible tells us they're the most important thing. You know, eternity is actually what should drive and motivate our living. You know, when you think about for myself, Uh, What are things that cause you to think about eternity, to consider eternity? And uh, the things that I think about, um, 
when I was young, it was when somebody passed away. It was death. It was funerals. And um, I know often um, I've, I've talked to people who, when a family member dies, they actually keep a secret from their kids that one of their family members died because they don't want to traumatize them. And I know people that when there's funerals, they don't bring their young kids. And I, I just, you know, for myself, as my kids were young and as they were growing up, um, I always talked to them about death. And every time a family member died, I took my little kids to funerals and I wanted them to see those things. Uh, my kids have seen dead bodies. Like I wanted them to see that, to understand the reality of that, and then to shepherd them through that and to help them think about the fact that we live a life that is at some point going to come to an end. And I don't think that's an important thing for teenagers or adults to think about. I think those are important things for um, kids as young as possible to start thinking about. And so often when, uh, I remember as a high school student in my auto shop class, um, there was a friend of mine who had uh, just been driving down the road and he had a VW bug and he kind of whipped out and pulled in front of a semi that was behind him and then he stopped. But the semi could not stop in time. So the, the semi just went up onto his VW bug and then just came down and crushed him in the car. And so I remember being a 16-year-old in high school and just looking at this chair, this kid used to sit next to me in school, and just looking at this chair and thinking, this friend of mine who was here yesterday is no longer on this earth. Um, so, so often when we, when we see death, when we think about those things, it, it gets our attention and it helps us to think about, hey, what's next? Um, I think other times, like I know for my dad, when my dad got old and, and when he came to the end of his life, I know I thought a lot about eternity as it related to him. And then also it just made me think of my own eternity. And it made me think about what is next. Um, just as I was with my dad through those, those, uh, his last days on earth. And I just think for us to think about eternity is actually a super important thing because it informs today. And uh, so those are important things. And you know what's interesting is that when um, Jesus and the apostles were here, when Jesus was here, uh, he talked a lot about eternity. He talked a lot about what's coming next. He talked about end times. He talked about his return. Like that was a major topic for Jesus. It was a major topic for the disciples. You know, the Old Testament is full of uh, discussions about end times and what's going to happen at the end. And the apostles and all the New Testament books all talk about end times. And what I think is interesting is, you know, there's a lot of controversy about end times, right? There are uh, premillennialists, and I'll just tell you, I'm a premillennialist. And so premillennialism is just a, a view on when Jesus comes back. And it says Jesus is going to come back before the millennium. And um, we're going to actually talk about that a little bit next week. Um, so there's, so there's premillennialists. There are postmillennialists that believe that Jesus is going to come back after the resurrection, and are, are, that Jesus is going to come back after the millennium. And then there are amillennialists who believe there's no earthly millennium, that there's only a millennium in heaven. And then there's, like Michelle, there are panmillennialists. And the panmillennialists believe that it's just all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> 
So, but I would just say this, you know, I think when it comes to end times, we recognize that there's a lot of challenging things about that. But I think when we think about eternity, there are things that we have been told very specifically and very clearly. And there are things God intends for us to know. And you know what? We should know and we should embrace the things that God has told us in his word. Like we should say, okay, this is something I can know. And we should hold to that. We shouldn't disregard it because we don't like it. We should embrace the things that God has told us. And then the things that are a mystery, hey, we can just enjoy the fact that some things are a mystery. And so I think that those are very positive things as well. So what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to talk about um, basically three things, if we get to all three. Uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about is just we're going to answer the question, what is a resurrection. What is the resurrection? So we're going to talk about resurrection. The second thing we're going to look at is what does the resurrection, res resurrection motivate us to? Why, how do we live today in light of the fact that there's going to be a resurrection? And we're going to look at Paul's example for himself. How did it affect Paul? And then we're going to finally end up, if we get there today, with what is the nature of our resurrection body? You know, there's things that the Bible tells us about what our resurrection bodies are gonna be like. So we'll think about some of that stuff. Um, the main thing I want you to know today though is that the resurrection is real. Um, and that's the argument Paul's been making in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about the gospel message and he just says that part of the gospel, part of the good news, part of salvation is that God raised Jesus from the dead. That actually proves the truth of the gospel message. And so the resurrection is not a side doctrine. It's not something that we can kind of believe in if we want to or not. That is actually an essential element of the gospel. And Paul goes on and he just says the, the whole idea that just sincere belief, even if it's wrong, is helpful. He says that's not true. He says if we as Christians believe things that aren't true, like the resurrection or the gospel, Paul says that we of all people are most to be pitied. So the resurrection is true, and we should believe it because it is true. We don't believe it because it makes it, us feel better. We believe it because it's real and it's true. And this is one of the things that uh, Paul says about salvation. He just says, the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And here's the thing we need to know is that when we trust God, when we believe God for salvation, first of all, that is a well-placed faith. The second thing is we're not going to be disappointed. There are so many people who have come to me and just said, man, I, I really struggle with whether or not I'm actually saved, whether or not I'm actually going to go to heaven, and they struggle with doubt about their eternal condition. And I always just point them to what Scripture says. And I just tell them when it comes down to it, uh, these are the things that God says. And if these things are true, we trust God. And so if I ever had personal doubts, or if anybody has personal doubts, I just go read what the Bible says. And this is one of those. Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. And so these are things that we need to have confidence in. So let's read our passage for this morning, and then we're going to talk about it. So we're going to start in verse uh, 20, uh, verse 20. I'm going to read that. Um, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
So Jesus has been raised. He is the first fruits of those. So Jesus is Jesus's resurrection is an example of our resurrection. So that's our first point. And then we're going to jump down into verse 29, and we're going to go through uh, the rest of the chapter. And so this is a controversial verse that I haven't really gotten to, but we're going to get to it today. It says this in verse 29, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So Paul's talked about there are people saying there's no resurrection. And then as a part of his argument, he's like, some people are being baptized for the dead. Why are they doing that if there's no resurrection? And then verse 30, this is the ramifications of the resurrection for the Apostle Paul. He says this in verse 30, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And then uh, this, this last part here, what will our resurrection bodies be like? Let's read this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of heaven is of one kind, the glory of the earth is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of stars, for star star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So are those who are of the dust. As as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And then verse 53, it adds a little statement about our resurrection bodies. And it says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. All right. Were you, were you following all that? Thinking about all that stuff? You got a good hold of it? Because actually that's what God intends for us. 
is, um, you know, I get up here and I talk about the Bible, but, but you guys are also supposed to actually just read it and think deeply about it and evaluate, hey, are the things that I'm being told, do they match what this is saying? And that's what we're supposed to do. Also, anytime we're studying theology or we're learning about different things from, quote, experts, we're supposed to go back and read the Bible for ourselves, and we're supposed to say, is that what this is saying? And I can't tell you how many times I find people that believe things that actually don't match what Scripture says. And what is amazing to me is sometimes you'll, I'll read a passage when I'm having discussions about, with people about different theological beliefs, and I'll actually read a passage with them, and I'll say, okay, so you believe that, let's just read this. And, and if you think about the Bible with the, like, 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 a, like English, and you just think about what are the rules of grammar, what do words mean? As we put them together in a sentence, what does it mean? And it's amazing to me how people will read a passage that is super clear and then just ignore um, the definition of words, ignore the rules of grammar, and just impose something on a passage that it's not saying. And people who will have beliefs that you'll say to them, like I've, I've met with people who believe certain things, and I'll say, so... What verse in Scripture drives you to believe that? And you want to know something? There's no verse in Scripture that drives them to believe the things they believe. They just decide to believe them. They have theology that comes out of the white spaces in Scripture. <laughs> Do you know what that means? <laughs> that means they take the blanks in Scripture, the little white spaces between words or the white spaces between the lines, and they believe things that are not there. God intends us to read the Bible, to think about what it says, to think about grammar, to think about the definitions of words, and then believe the things that the Bible says. We're not supposed to just go through life, make stuff up, and then believe the stuff we want to believe. We're not supposed to go find our theological heroes or the experts in life and go, Oh, what do the experts say? I'll believe these experts over Scripture. We're supposed to just read it and think about what it means. So let's just look at verse 20, and let's consider this. What is the resurrection from the dead? And it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So um, I've been asked this question, um, Jesus rose from the dead, how is it that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead? How is Jesus first? Because if you think about in the Old Testament, there were people who were raised from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? So how is Jesus first? And what I would just say is this, those were resurrections, but they were different resurrections. Um, these are people who were born in a natural body who died, and when they were raised from the dead, what kind of body did they have? They had the same body, right? They were raised, they were still fallen, uh, they still could get sick, um, they, they still could be killed, and they all eventually died again, right? 
So, so God reversed the natural process of death. He did a miracle, and he raised them again. But did you know that Jesus was the very first person to ever be raised to that immortal body, the, the glorified body, the body that was different than his earthly body, the body described here in 1 Corinthians 15. He was the first one to be raised in this way. So Jesus was first in that sense. Jesus was immortal, never to die again. And his body, as we look at the description of his body, um, there were some things that were similar, but there were things that were different. And so um, Jesus was the first fruit. So let's just think for a second about what is death. And this is actually an important thing for us to understand as we understand the resurrection. There are a lot of things in Scripture that are confusing if you don't understand what resurrection is. So um, death is separation. That's what death means. So physical death is when your spirit is separated from your body. Death is not a ceasing of existence. When you read the Bible, one of the things that's very clear is there is no ceasing of existence. And we'll look at some examples of that in Scripture, but death is not when something ceases to exist. The moment a person dies physically, their, spiritual bo- their spirit goes somewhere. And the Bible tells us that in the future, there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. So spiritually, nobody ceases to exist. Um, The moment you die, your spirit, if you're a believer, is with the Lord. The spirit, your spirit, if you're an unbeliever, goes into Hades and is tormented. And then on the resurrection, the believers receive a resurrection body that prepares them for heaven, and unbelievers receive a resurrection body that is prepared to spend forever separated from God in hell. So everybody is resurrected. The question is, where are we going to spend our resurrection? And the other thing is that nobody ceases to exist. Have you ever heard stories about people whose body dies and then they'll they'll like talk about these uh, after death experiences and they'll talk about how they were looking down and and how they could see doctors in the room and they'll describe various things um with all those things um it always amazes me how people will read books and they'll read stories that people have written and they'll say oh man this this guy died and then he wrote a book about it you should read this so you can know about the future and you want to know what i think about that i just think well, hey, that's, that's fun. Uh, I've dreamt things at night. I've had all kinds of mental experiences. Do we know truth by a book that somebody who died and came back to life wrote? We have no idea whether that's true or not. Like, that, that may be a true recounting of something, but we don't know if that actually matches what is true. Um, if you want to know what heaven and eternity and all those things, life after death is like, you read the Bible. You don't read some experiential somebody's recount of their experience but when i hear about those things i don't think they're untrue Uh, the 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 idea that a person that that their spirit may leave their body and see things um, i know that people don't cease to exist in their spirit and so like I, i but whenever i hear those things i don't know truth by whatever anybody wrote 
I read those things. I think it's interesting, and I just think, does that match what Scripture says? Does it not match what Scripture says? Uh, I'll never forget one guy I saw on TV talking about how he died and went to heaven and came back to life. And the point of his message, he says, man, I used to use profanity. I used to, he's like talked about how his life was just totally transformed. But you want to know what he didn't say anything to any about? He didn't say anything to anybody about repentance, about sin, about the importance of coming to know Christ. And so I look at his experience and I just go, that's great. But do I put a lot of value in what he said? No. If this guy died and went to heaven and came back to this earth, he would have been exactly like the Apostle Paul, preaching the gospel to everybody, living with this, this driving passion that people would know the Lord before it is too late. And so people that just talk about this moral transformation that have happened in their life, I don't know what happened, but they weren't actually in heaven. They didn't actually have an experience with God, or that would drive their response. And so death is not ceasing to exist. Resurrection is when your spirit is reunited with your body. That's why, when you read the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And yet, there is a time in the future where there will be a resurrection that hasn't happened yet. So we're still waiting for the resurrection, but what's happening with all the people who have already died? Well, they are in the presence of God, and in the future, they will receive their bodies. So a resurrection is not when you begin to exist again. Your resurrection is when your soul is connected with your body. That is resurrection. And so uh, the Bible's told us about that. And uh, here's one example, just the, the whole thing about um, what happens to people when they die. People often wonder what happened to Jesus when he died. The fact that we ask that question means that death is not a ceasing to exist. We know that Jesus was somewhere doing something. And you want to know what he said to the thief on the cross? He's looking at him and he just says, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Where did the thief on the cross go the moment he died? Where did Jesus go the moment he died? To paradise. And he says, that's where we'll be. Um, so that's true. We see that in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Um, and, and then here's an emphasis on the body. Romans chapter 8 says this. It just says, so we are of good courage and we know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So when we're out of our body, we are with the Lord. That is what happens to believers. The moment they die, they go into God's presence. Philippians tells us this. It says, our citizenship is in heaven and it just says, um, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. And that, that passage in Romans that I just had up on the screen, it just says, um, and not only uh, the creation, but we ourselves, whom we have, the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we're waiting for this day when we're going to receive a resurrection body. Okay, so that's what resurrection is. Now, how should that motivate you and I to live? The fact that as we think about end times, as we think about the end of the universe, as we think about the fact that we're going to get a resurrection body, how does that motivate us to live? And I would just go right out there and say in the, just the sense of motivation, um, have you ever had aches and pains and thought to yourself, I'm looking forward to the day that this is fixed? You know, often the older we get, the more we think about the resurrection. One of the things I think about as I get older is I think about, man, how fast it's coming. Uh, I think about that, that if God really blesses me with a great life, um, I will be married to Michelle in the future as long as I've been married to her in the past. So about as long as Michelle and I have been married, if things go very well for me, that's how much time I have left. And I think back to our wedding day, and it doesn't seem that long ago. And so I realize, actually, my life on this earth is short, I don't have much time left. And for many of you out there, you probably got less time than me. <laughs> so, because uh, you're, you're ahead of me. And uh, that should motivate us to live well with the time that we have left. Now, this verse 29, <laughs> is that an okay joke to tell? <laughs> hey, you guys all know it's true, right? Um, <clears throat> some of you. Um, you know, as we think about this living, it should motivate us actually to do something um, about the way that we live. And this verse is very controversial, verse 29, where Paul's talking about baptism for the dead. I just want to make a couple comments about it. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the death are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Now, there are about 200 interpretations of that verse. And I would say almost all of them you could just cross out and throw away because they violate the clear teaching of Scripture. There are whole belief systems that study genealogies so that they can be baptized for dead people so dead people can go to heaven. Um, that is a complete um, ignoring of what the Bible says about both baptism and even an understanding of what salvation is. So if we throw out all the the impossible interpretations, we end up with not as many. I'm going to tell you two of them that I think are good possibilities, and I'll just start with the one that I believe. So I think that there were false teachers in this time that Paul's addressing that are talking about how there's going to be no resurrection, and I think they were probably also encouraging some kind of practice of baptism for the dead, and I think Paul's just pointing out a contradiction in their, in their teaching. And he's just saying, these people teaching there's no uh, resurrection, why are they being baptized for the dead if there's no resurrection? He's just saying it's a contradiction in what they're teaching. That's what I think is potentially likely. Another possible interpretation, if you think about the way the word uh, baptized for the dead, it could also mean be translated baptized because of the dead. And that would just be if we thought about that, it would just be okay. So when you go to a funeral and you think about the life and the testimony of a person, and as you think about death, that can motivate a person to evaluate their life. And maybe people are sharing their testimony of, as I think about 
faithful believers who have died. I'm baptized because of their life and because of what I thought about at that time. One of the things I think about funerals, I think are one of the, one of the greatest opportunities to share the gospel. Because it's this living example that this person lived and they're not here anymore and eventually that's our future too. Like that's compelling. And that's why I don't think anybody should skip funerals. Everybody should go. Like we need that type of a reminder. And so it's possible that this is just Paul saying, why are people baptized um, because of the things, the ways that they've been encouraged and inspired by people who have passed on? And why are you doing that if there's no resurrection? So I think those are possibilities. I think personally, and this is my opinion, I think Paul's just addressing a contradiction in the teaching of false teachers. So either way, this isn't saying that we should get baptized for the dead. How's that? Okay, so let's jump in here and let's just think about um, what is this saying about uh, how we live? Um, You know, when we think about the end, it should motivate us to be wholehearted in our commitment to Christ. Um, So often, we can love the world, we can love the things in the world, we can forget about eternity, and we can just try to grab a hold of what's right here in front of us. And when we think about the resurrection, that motivates us to live for something beyond this world. It motivated Paul that way. He gave his life. You look at the wholehearted commitment of Christ, and you just think to yourself, how could a person live that way? And then you think about in the book of Corinthians where Paul talks about, 2 Corinthians, he talks about how God took him up into heaven and he showed him a vision and allowed him to see things. This is one of the things I think is interesting about all the testimonies of life after death. You know, we know that God rose, raised Lazarus from the dead, right? He was dead and he came back. Do you know what's not recorded in Scripture? Anything Lazarus had to say about his three days in heaven? You want to know what Paul said when he died and went to heaven and came back? He said he saw things which he was not permitted to speak. And so Paul had an experience and it it motivated him. It changed the way he lived, but he didn't actually communicate those things. So it's, I often kind of, when people come back and have a story about what happened, I think, why is it that the people in the Bible never shared about their experience that we know that died? And, and what does that tell us about these testimonies of people who have supposedly died, gone to heaven, and come back? And especially when, when you read those testimonies, so much of what is said is in direct contradiction to Scripture. So most of those accounts we could just toss. And so, anyway, that's just an interesting side note. But here's when you look at the Apostle Paul, you think, how is a person so faithful, so committed? And I think potentially that was inspired by him having a view of eternity. Look what he says here in verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus. I die every day. You know, what did Jesus say to Christians? Anybody who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What is taking up your cross daily? It's being willing to die to yourself. That's actually the revelation that occurred to me when I became a Christian. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, 
was like one of the major verses in my life. And it just says, uh, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Which means that every day I live as though I'm dead. I'm a living sacrifice. And one of the things I used to think about after I became a Christian is, I couldn't become a Christian because having fun was too important. But guess what? Dead people don't care if they're having fun. And I thought about, you know, I I need the approval of my friends. I really want friends. But guess what? Dead people don't care if they have any friends. When you think about anything that gets in the way of you living for the Lord, if you are a living sacrifice, if you had died to yourself, those things would not be a hindrance. Those things are only a hindrance for people who are living. And the call to be a Christian is to die to yourself and to live for God. And I just realized that's the reason I couldn't make the decision to follow Christ because I was unwilling to die to myself. And the Apostle Paul here just says, I'm in danger every hour. You know, dead people don't care if they're in danger. So why was Paul willing to endanger himself for the gospel? Because he had died to himself. Why was Paul willing to preach the gospel even though it meant he would be executed? Because dead people don't care if they're executed. And Paul was a living sacrifice. And we have that as we look at his life. Why? What motivated him? What drove him? I think it's because he had a vision of what heaven was like. And so then he goes on and he says, um, verse 32, what do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts in Ephesus? So there's a debate about what this means. Um, this is an, an old image of, um, uh, of this time period. And basically what they would do for Christians is sometimes they would feed them to lions. Other times they would give them a weapon and then throw them out into the, the arena with a wild animal and they could fight animals. And they would say, hey, let's see who lives or dies. Can this person kill this animal? Or is the animal going to kill him? And so one possibility is that Paul in Ephesus was thrown into an arena with animals and had to fight for his life. Another option is that Paul's talking about um, the, the, his persecution from Pharisees in, in Ephesus. That why, would, why am I fighting with these beasts that just want to destroy me? And so he's just talking about the fact that he's willing either way to fight. In fact, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, enjoy your life, because this is all there is. And so for us to really live as Christians, that has to flow um, out of the light of what it means to have an eternity ahead of us. Look what he says here in verse uh, 33. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Okay, That's like the teenage verse, right? All teenage parents have this memorized and they say to their kids, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals when they're talking to them about their friends. So this verse kind of gets ripped out of context a little bit. I mean, used appropriately. I think that's true. Bad company does corrupt good morals. But what specifically kind of bad company is Paul talking about? I think Paul's talking about people. Bad company are people who live, do not live in light of eternity. And so Paul's just saying, bad company. So I think about that when you hang out with unbelievers, 
they live their life with only a few a view of this life. Um, there, there can be all kinds of people who can talk about life and frame it and explain it and reason it as though there's no eternity. You ever listen to somebody who's explaining things and it kind of sounds, sounds pretty good, but you know it's wrong? Paul's saying, don't hang out with people that frame things and explain things and communicate things that make evil and bad sound good. Hang out with people who think and live in light of eternity. Um, that's actually a super important thing that we're constantly around people. And so what I would say is, what are the people like that you're around? You ever heard somebody say the best predictor of your future are the kind of people that you're hanging out with today? I mean, I know people, unbelievers say that. You want to be rich? You want to do well financially? Hang out with people who are rich and who do well financially. Like, that's just like even an unbelieving world says the people you hang around are going to influence you. Uh, I would ask this, what kind of company are you? Are you a person that lives your life um, in light of eternity? I know for me, when I'm around people that put their life through that lens and they live that way, that is an inspiration, that is an encouragement. So here's 1 John 2.15 says this, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of the Lord lasts forever, abides with God forever. And so we need to be people that live our lives in light of eternity. We need to surround ourselves with people who live in light of eternity. Um, have you ever thought about how powerful the draw to um, just this temporal world can be? Like our own mind can do that. And when you think about that, that is the root of Satanism. It's the root of what Satan does. Is he explains things in a way that makes living a, a sinful life sound attractive. Uh, that's, that's the thing that Satan does. And we need to be filling our minds with the truth of Scripture. We need to be surrounding ourselves with faithful believers so that we don't pursue um, the things that Satan would tell us to do, which is to love the world and the things in the world. So that's where we'll end this morning. And uh, let's be people who understand that there is a resurrection and who live appropriately in the light of the resurrection. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. And as we think about the Apostle Paul and, Lord, the fact that he lived his life in light of the resurrection and he taught us to, to think and to live in light of the resurrection, God, I pray that you would help us to do that, that every day that we would live as living sacrifices. So we thank you for your kindness in your name. Amen.